When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, Havertz to the rescue against Newcastle, Kerr to the rescue against Villa, we talk the latest developments on sanctions and takeovers and round up the rest of the Chelsea news. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic, this is straight out of Cobham. We are again then, listener, the first of our double dose of Chelsea podcasting goodness for the week. Joining me, Matt Davis-Adams, R2 of the Athletics Chelsea experts. Hello, Simon Johnson. Hello. And Dominic Fifield is also with us. Hi, Dom. Hello, Matt. How are you doing? All right, thanks. Yeah, and I think that it is high time that we started this podcast talking about a football match. Uh, admittedly, not a very good one, but a successful one. We'll break down the win against Newcastle next. I feel that they deserve. Maybe the other coach does does not feel the same way. But listen, we we showed again mentality, and and uh, and we needed that one quality pass, a quality run, and what a quality finish uh, from Kai. Chelsea won Newcastle United nil. Then a pretty atrocious game of football for 89 minutes until Kai Havertz illuminated a grey afternoon with a brilliant touch and finish from Jorginho's pass to give the Blues a fifth league win in a row. Uh, here's a tweet from Richard Carter who says, even if at Chelsea FC is sold overnight to a Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk led consortium, I still expect an opening Havertz appreciation monologue from Liam Toomey on the <laughs> Straight Out of Cobham podcast. Uh, sorry, Richard, Liam isn't on today, but I feel certain he's delivering said monologue to his wife, daughter and dog as we speak. Uh, after a seismic week at Stamford Bridge, we sent one of our senior writers down to the game yesterday to take in the sights and sounds around the stadium on a day when the game between Chelsea and Newcastle was completely overshadowed by greater geopolitical issues. Hello, this is George Culkin. I'm outside Stamford Bridge, uh, not too long before uh, Chelsea play Newcastle. Uh, I've been here for a few hours wandering around, trying to sort of get to grips with today and what it means and what it doesn't mean. There's a feeling of normal abnormality, I'd call it. It feels like a normal match day in, in lots of ways. There's um, lots of fans milling around. It's very, very busy. At the same time, it's not quite the same uh, as it always is. On the tube on the way over, there was a, there was a Chelsea Chelsea fan with his son there, and his son said, uh, oh, what's going to happen today, Dad? And the older fella said, we're going to smash him like we always do. So it does feel normal in that sense, but there's small pockets of protests around, there's lots of media doing interviews with Chelsea fans and the Chelsea supporters trust are here too. I've bumped into to Liam, our brilliant Chelsea writer. What, what do you make of the atmosphere here today, Liam? Honestly, it doesn't look any different to Chelsea home games that, that I've been to before. You know, there are people just milling around. 
You're not hearing you're not hearing like endless choruses of Roman Abramovich. I've heard it a couple of times. There was one quite interesting moment as I was coming out of Fulham Broadway station where a guy in front of me with his kid um, got out his phone smiling to sort of take a selfie video of the fans behind him singing you are my Chelsea my only Chelsea and then they immediately switched to Roman Abramovich he put his phone away again um, so that I think that that moment kind of sums up the fact that there's not really a universal feeling here I think a lot of fans are are still figuring out what they what they make of what's yeah, happened yeah. in the last two weeks and I think they will be for a little while I'm fully expecting once I'm in the stadium to hear chants in support of Abramovich we've just got some Newcastle fans going by in spirits I mean that's one of the other interesting bits about today is that you've got you've got old new money meets new new money and you've got a club in Newcastle who are obviously riding the crest of a wave of a team suddenly doing well having spent a load of money uh, in January and with you know with new ownership which kind of poses a lot of the same sort of questions that Chelsea are going through at the moment yeah in many ways it's depending on which way you look at it the 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 perfect or the worst possible opponent um, given developments at Chelsea for the whole sort of geopolitical narrative around the Premier League as a whole I mean, yeah, there's obviously been lots written and talked about this week about the the compare and contrast between Newcastle's owners and, and, and Roman Abramovich. And I think that will continue to be a theme. It might even be a theme between the two sets of fans in the stadium because we know that, you know, generally once fans get into that environment everything is game for point scoring for for better or worse and it's, i mean when i sort of mentioned that sort of normal abnormality you can get more of a sense of it i think when you get closer to the stadium because there's no programs on sale today uh, the club shop is closed you know they're advertising a sale in the club shop but nobody can can get in the club museum is open but only for people who've pre-booked uh, ticket there for Chelsea versus Brentford with no tickets available written underneath it, which yeah. is, you know, quite unusual for a for a game to be advertised, but they're not advertised in terms yeah. of ticket and, sales. And, and you still see you still see sort of big hoardings with uh, three Chelsea sponsors who have, we know have kind of walked away, but they they haven't gone. They're still there. So it's only really when you sort of stop and stare and really think about it that you sort of notice any kind of meaningful difference. Yeah, and it, that actually kind of highlights as much as anything the the holding pattern, the strange holding pattern that Chelsea are in now because. Three have, have stepped away, but they haven't walked away. You know, they've suspended their their partnership. So have Hyundai, who do the training kit. Um, but they're sort of waiting, like everyone else, to see what happens next with Chelsea. And I think we all expect there to be significant developments in the next week or two in the ownership with, it, with regards to a sale. And then, of course, these brands might reevaluate their positions when the time comes. But for now... It is definitely part of the sort of surreal aesthetic of this game. So we're approaching kickoff now. Fans pouring in through the Stamford Gate. This is where the away fans coming in. They're the people we can hear, but I don't think that's particularly unusual. Uh, the away fans are always the fans making the noise, um, and still it feels like a pretty normal, normal match day experience to me. Um, the one thing that does feel strange is the number of media outlets and media people I realise I'm one of those so there's an irony in me saying that but approaching Chelsea fans to comment on the situation regarding their club and uh, Russia and Ukraine and Abramovich that feels very peculiar but the rest of it doesn't 
at the moment it really doesn't so anyway we'll see what it's like on the inside standing outside Stamford Bridge the last few people are kind of dribbling out of the stadium now after Chelsea's 1-0 win I don't know what I expected today I think maybe I expected it to feel different and it hasn't really felt different. There have been some, you know, chants from Newcastle fans inside the stadium, as you've heard. But, I mean, that's very much par for the course. The way it feels to me is it's it's business. It's business as unusual. It's not quite the same. But really, football, football rolls on, doesn't it? And um, that's certainly how it felt today. No real kind of great difference outside the stadium, apart from people like me wandering around, <laughs> journalists... Um, and certainly no difference inside, except perhaps that big uh, moment of relief and release for Chelsea when they scored their, their winning goal. But yeah, football rolls on, money rolls on. George Colkin and Liam Toomey there. Uh, Simon, Newcastle came for a point, didn't they? A, a fact reflected by the fact that it took Chelsea, what, 75 minutes to have a shot on target? They almost managed it, but it was that one moment of brilliance right at the end that settled it in Chelsea's favour. Yeah, I, it was always going to be a tough game for for many reasons. Obviously, that the circumstances Chelsea were playing in, but also Newcastle in a good run of form um, had been unbeaten in 2022, and that's why they're sort of climbing away to safety uh, quite quite comfortably. Um, Chelsea Chelsea laboured for long periods. They they looked. It reminded me very much um, of the the Chelsea Brighton game in April last year, which was played in the backdrop of, of the European Super League fiasco, uh, Mines Elsewhere. Che- Chelsea players didn't play with the same kind of um, freedom and th- it felt like they were playing with a lot in their minds. As, as well as Newcastle played, it, it looked like they were lacking um, intent. Sort of, they just didn't see themselves. But... They had to rely on a bit of luck as well with the referee. Um, and then quickly, well, it shouldn't be talked about quickly. There was one moment of that just was not befitting of the game. We're talking world-class quality. And Kai Havertz is getting most of the attention, and rightly so, because his touch and finish was, was sublime. But Jorginho's pass, I, I've, I've always been... I've always wanted more from Jorginho in a, in a creative sense. Um, he, he does play a lot of safe passes, but this was just a, an absolute peach of a pass. It perfectly weighted and flighted over Dan Byrne's head, which allowed Havertz the chance to, to sort of touch and finish ahead of Dubravka before he could get there. Um, a brilliant moment which lifted, which was so needed for, for everyone at the club. Yes, they'd won at Norwich on Thursday night, but this really felt like a gift that all everyone associated with Chelsea needed. Uh, Dom, Peter Crouch said that there were, there were shades of Dennis Bergkamp in the Havertz goal for him. Would you agree with that? I thought there were maybe shades of Fabregas in the pass as well. Yeah, really, really good um, analogies, both of those. I mean, that, 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 is, that is completely fair. I mean, the, the way that Jorginho, he, he's exchanging the passes with Rudiger and then just working the space. And we, we, we talk quite often about how build-up play can be quite laboured but there was a purpose to that there was a, he was he was toying the space out of Longstaff I think it was um, and the last pass he plays to Rudiger he then backpedals five yards so that he's got that space in front of him where he can look up 
and find that that gorgeous Fabregas esque um, pass diagonal beyond burn for for Havertz to to collect an absolutely sublime pass as I says, but the touch with his outstretched left foot to to gather and then and then the speed at which he gets the shot away to leave Dubravka completely flat footed. That was Burkamp esque. That really was. It was. It was. It was akin to. I think it was against Newcastle and, and Leicester. He used to score these sublime goals all the time, wasn't it? It's. it's uh, I mean, they must be wondering what the people have got against them in Newcastle United. But it was. It was a, a, a moment of genius amidst plenty of huff and puff. It's, I mean, Chelsea have been playing like this for a while. I, I, I know we, we say they sort of always got mitigating circumstances given everything that's happened in the last week, but. I thought that was a pretty similar performance to the one against Palace, really. Um, you know, threatening to take control, but never really being completely in command of the situation. And then in the dregs of the game, it was Ziyech on that occasion who came up with a fantastic finish. And, and now we've got Havertz doing the same against Newcastle. I and mean, I think this is it's almost becoming a... It was a great, it's a great habit to have if you're not going to be playing scintillating stuff. You just want to be grinding out your wins. And if you... You know, the, your meaningful, world-class flashes of genius are, are, are winning you the points, and that's what Chelsea have done on a couple of occasions in recent weeks. One similarity between the game on Sunday and the Crystal Palace game was the referee, David Coote. Uh, his dad used to be a cricketer for Nottinghamshire, but it, it was Newcastle who were, who were left asking, how's that after penalty appeals? <laughs> Get out. Get out now. Bowling oh, middle word. stump out oh. the ground. I hadn't even written that down, by the way. That was an ad lib. So, you know, uh, that's what you get for your, for your athletic <laughs> subscription. Um, Jeez. Simon, was it one of those where it, the sort of poor decisions even themselves out or, or actually a Newcastle right to feel aggrieved that A, Jacob Murphy didn't get a penalty and, and before that, that Kai Havertz wasn't sent off? I think I'd be disappointed he didn't go to the third umpire. Um... <laughs> Enough. <laughs> You've lost half the audience. <laughs> All right, let, let, let's, I, I suppose let's deal with one, one incident at a time. Um, so let's start with Havertz's elbow on Dan Byrne. Um, it's one of those, you've definitely seen them given as, as red cards, but as Havertz explained afterwards, that there, there were mitigating circumstances in terms of Dan Byrne's height. I, I liked him. Yeah, the line he used was great, wasn't it? He said he's <laughs> seven, eight feet tall. And, and two head heights higher than me. <laughs> and, and, and in fairness, Danny Murphy on um, Match of the Day highlighted where Dan Byrne's elbow was, which was actually just below Havertz's chin uh, in a very similar swinging motion. So that essentially they were both doing the same thing. It's just that Havertz's elbow connected with Dan Byrne's temple. Um, yes, orange card, if if I'm being generous. Um, and I do accept, but I do accept Havertz's explanation that it wasn't intentional I don't, because you can see on the replay that at no point is he looking at Dan Byrne it, it's not a classic oh I'm looking to do him it's it it was in the motion of, of jumping to win the, the header the penalty though is a different story um it was one of those where watching it you instantly sort of went oh dear you know, you're waiting for the decision to be made. Bizarrely, he gave a corner, which was, was arguably it was just as baffling as, as as not giving a penalty. But 
the replays that confirmed what you sort of saw first time around. You know, Chalibur completely um, panicked as, as Murphy was dribbling, grabbed hold of his shirt and held on to it for quite a long time, actually, a few seconds. Yes, Murphy, you could argue perhaps sort of right at the end decided to fall over to probably sort of do that classic, try and get the decision. But yeah, Chelsea did get away with one there. and, and But they could argue, well, perhaps they're owed one from the League Cup final. That, that That's perhaps the way they'd see it. Uh, Dom, Thomas Tuchel's subs by and large paid off. He, he said that it, it took some big balls to bring Pulisic on and, and put him at, at wing back. I thought actually Kovacic was maybe the, the most impactful in, in terms of that running from midfield that, that he was able to do that, that Kante and Jorginho struggled with. But another ineffective cameo from Romelu Lukaku, kind of underlined by the fact that it was Havertz who got the goal. And If Lukaku can't even be an impact sub, then then that really is a big problem. Yeah, we're sort of covering old ground, aren't we? I mean, it's, it's, it's a difficult, it's a difficult one, and and we've had we've had the same conversation about Timo Werner as well. You know, at the very least, you'd expect them to make an impact off the bench, the very very least, um, and they've struggled to do that this season. Um, and, and Lukaku of late, I'm, I'm, on the other the other changes, they obviously having to there's a bit of a makeshift feel to that to that back line with with Chaloba playing it. Right back, um, and and the, the the switches. I mean, Pulisic has worked at wing back on occasion. He's also been ineffective at times as well. But he's almost at the the point where you may as well try it. He's actually been playing really well. And obviously, the I think it was an illness, wasn't it, in the week that 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 had prevented him featuring at, at Norwich. Um, so at least you're bringing on a player that's got a bit of confidence at the moment and playing playing well. And against a, a team that was sitting back and, as you say, looking. For a point at at, at best, um, Kovacic. I'm almost surprised that he doesn't play more often. He, he's one of the the best players in, in this in this team in this squad, and I know they've got they they're sort of they have loads of options in that in that midfield area, and it's you know I, I still find it difficult when Kante's left out because you just look at him and think, well, you know, he, he's liable to to be a world beater any moment. He could just you know, he's, he's all the, the the old form will come flooding back. But Kovacic has been consistently excellent with those driving runs. He's he's got he's he's found his shooting boots almost this season as well, which has been a bit of a an added bonus. And uh, he, he just looks like the, the proper combative midfielder who will drive you on in difficult situ- situations. So, I mean, it's a great it's a great option to have off the bench. But I'd imagine that he should be playing. He should be starting more games than he's he's coming off the bench in. To be honest, but. You know, difficult, difficult balancing act with uh, the amount of games that Chelsea have to play, um, and yeah, at some point, at some point, the Lukaku issue will will come back into into focus as well up top. I mean, given the, the last few weeks, I imagine that that returning to to that debate, um, you know, where the hell we fit him in, is uh, probably something that most Chelsea fans would welcome. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, speaking of the Chelsea fans, Liam's post-match piece for the Athletic mentions that there wasn't much in terms of chanting for Roman Abramovich, and, and when it was, it was, it was quickly shushed down. Quite a surprise, Simon, to, to see the Roman Empire banner still up. That that felt in quite poor taste to me. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, I, I can only assume, and and sort of in their defence, that maybe in the sort of stress of the last few days, they just haven't got around to that that sort of the banners that are always there 
they haven't got round to 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 looking at and going, oh yeah, perhaps we should take that one away. Um, it is pretty embarrassing that it that, that it's been left up. I'm sure it's it's been removed or will be removed now. But yeah, it was very clumsy. Yeah, didn't wasn't the best thing. But I, I do I do want to sort of quickly touch on the fans really because it's kind of following. Or maybe I should just get Lucy to talk about it <laughs> as requested by someone on Twitter, wasn't it? Um, but I I do sort of think. Okay, it's time to give fans a bit of a break here. There, there does seem to be this determination to tar everyone with the same brush. Not everyone is chanting Roman Abramovich's name. Not everyone is is uh, blind to the effects that, to what's going on in Ukraine. It, it it does seem that that sort of Chelsea fans are getting hit left, right, and centre as like the the worst people on earth. And at this point in time, you just sort of have to think, well. Forget Abramovich, forget, and and in the nicest possible way, in the, this probably clumsy phrase, forget the connections with what's going on elsewhere. Football clubs, are, as we've seen during COVID, they are huge for people's mental health. It gives people a break from sort of perhaps what's going on in their personal lives. It, it, it's something that they look forward to. It's a chance to meet with friends. It's a chance to have a break from perhaps something else. And so to constantly hammer Chelsea fans as, as, as the worst thing in the world and, and delight in the club's downfall, I just sort of think that just, just bear in mind that, you know, there are people that, okay, that, that, that may not be the, the worst element of Chelsea's fan base and, and, and just love football like, like we all do on, on this podcast. Um, and they'll be, they're, they're right to be feeling a little bit upset with what's going on. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, well said. Uh, well, Chelsea are back in action in the Champions League on Wednesday. We'll preview that game later. Next today, the latest on the off-the-pitch situation. I have to admit that we go day by day, as I said, because uh, we don't have this in our hands and the conversations are going on that, uh, that we can actually you know, operate the way that we can finish the season because... Uh, Obviously, it's a, it's a difficult situation, and as well, we are a part of the Premier League and one of the best competitions in the world. And 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 I believe that um, you know, for us to to be able to to carry on to finish the the season would obviously help everybody involved in the Premier League too. Uh, there's Petr Cech. Before the Newcastle game, he spoke to Sky Sports about the situation surrounding the sanctions placed on the club. Uh, Simon, do we know why, why it was him who was wheeled out? It, it was a good exercise in, in saying not very much, which in fairness to Czech, I, I suspect he doesn't actually know very much, but but it, it felt like something that, that Chelsea sort of needed to do without really wanting to give anything away. I just I just think it was kind of like he, he was the best that, that wasn't a board member, but could articulate sort of what's going on a little bit whilst effectively saying the same thing as Thomas Tuchel. Um, look, Czech is very good um, at, at talking to the media. He's been doing it most of his life, obviously, as a, as a goalkeeper. He he did a briefing out in um, Abu Dhabi during the Club World Cup. Um, perhaps before all this was happening, he was starting to be moulded into a, a, a sort of that kind of spokesman for the club, kind of role as part of his duties 
Um, you could tell as he was talking, he was pretty, he was feeling the tension, the nerves of what he was allowed to say. Um, but I thought it was very important just for someone other than Thomas Tuchel to be talking to the, effectively to the fans, you know, forget sort of the media and everyone else. I think it's important that someone that's got some kind of connection, he's obviously very close with Marina Granovskaya, um, who was seen sat next to during the game, that that there was an element of here's another voice to sort of say this is what's going on, even though he didn't actually, as as is true, they don't know what's going on really. Um, so it was an important exercise for, for Chelsea to Chelsea sports to hear from someone else. Uh, Roman Abramovich disqualified as a director by the Premier League on Saturday. I mean, they've been really mealy-mouthed about this, haven't they, Dom? This, this feels like almost a, a meaningless thing to have happened after after the sanctions, after after the fact that the club's effectively been taken off him. Do you think the Premier League have handled this well? Do you think they were right to let the government deal with it? Should we have heard more from them? Or does that just open them up to, to further scrutiny and questions about uh, not just Abramovich, but other owners in the Premier League as well? well I think you've hit the nail on the head there with that last bit. They... they... They've been running away from this issue for a long, long time. They must have dreaded the imposition of sanctions on Chelsea because it does open a can of worms, as we've discussed before on the podcast. Unprecedented situation um, in as much as the war um, prompting it. But actually, it's, it's cast even more scrutiny onto subsequent deals that have been waved through by the Premier League that apparently cleared their owners and directors test um, and quite rightly are now being looked at and people are wondering quite how that happened. And, and you know, the, the irony that they were playing Newcastle United on Sunday is lost on nobody. The actual disqualification of Abramovich as a director is, I think, purely just a box ticking exercise. It had to happen because he, he's been sanctioned by the UK government and therefore that means that he's not, he can't be considered to be a fit and proper person anymore to run a football club. So it, it didn't really mean anything. And I, I think that there was a natural, when that was announced on Saturday morning, I suspect from the outside looking in, the natural assumption was, oh my word, this is another crisis for Chelsea. Things are getting uh, even even gloomier and it's, it's it's a disaster, et cetera, et cetera. But actually, I thought a lot of the stuff that happened on Saturday was a lot more positive and, and it's probably probably the start of the of a process that will lead to Chelsea being taken over sooner rather than later, um, new ownership. The, the, the review, the first review, because I suspect there'll be other reviews of the licence, Offering a bit more leeway on, in terms of um, how much money Chelsea can spend on a match day, for example, going up from five hundred grand to nine hundred grand, that's quite significant. That's a, that's a, the first indication that the government is and the treasury are willing to to be slightly more f- fluid on the on the terms of that license. The first first announced for on the tenth of March last Thursday, and then reviewed on the twelfth. I suspect there'll be more further or further reviews of that in terms of ticketing. Because Chelsea needs to get some kind of revenue streams into that club to to allow them some 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 kind of operational revenues that that will allow them to pay the wages. The government do not want a situation where Chelsea are completely kiboshed by by the license or sorry by the sanction rather um, and don't have the means of meeting the payroll. So I suspect that 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 will move again this week. And in terms of the ownership itself. 
Rain Group, the the merchant bank in in New York, I think, um, who was dealing with the sale, have written to interested parties and have told them to to put details of their bids in before Friday the eighteenth. They're anticipating four or five, I imagine, coming forward, and it's not quite an it's not quite a secret auction. Um, I suspect that there will be a bit of discussion from Rain with interested bidders, sort of letting them know that you know you're falling short in this area, or you might be able, you might want to up this bit to to make a more acceptable offer. But I think that process will now lead to maybe next week, ten days, you, you get you get a preferred buyer, and then maybe in a month's time, Chelsea will be under new ownership, and it won't look the same. It won't be the same arguably as it was under Abramovich, but at least it'll be on a stable footing again and the club can progress. Well, Nick Candy's one of those uh, who have declared their interest. He was pounced upon by Sky's Gary Cottrell as he made his way into Stamford Bridge yesterday. This is what he had to say. Just wondering how it's going. It's going good. Why do you want to own Chelsea? Just a message for the fans. I've, been, I've supported Chelsea since the age of four. My dad was asked to play for Chelsea. I love Chelsea. I don't mind where it ends up, even if it's not with me, as long as it's in safe hands. Needs to be in safe hands. The fans need to be involved in the ownership. 100%. Yeah, they should be involved in the ownership, both on the board and economically. How long will it take to sort out, do you think? Friday's best bids. Uh, seems to have been doing a lot of talking, Simon, through his spokesman over the weekend. Uh, do you have a preferred bidder? Say, let's put you in the position of the person who's <laughs> deciding the sale. Do you need to know more about the people who are involved? Do you think it's likely to be somebody who haven't heard anything from yet, as, as is sometimes the case in these kind of situations? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there if there are people that we haven't heard from because I'm very cynical about people putting themselves out in the media um, spotlight <laughs> <laughs> before before anything's remotely um, been done, etc. As for a preferred bit, um, no. Uh, the, the The only thing I the only thing that I'm sort of thinking of Chelsea wise is just <laughs> ideally someone that's not connected to uh, a conflict that'd be good um <laughs> so someone you know who, who can't be uh sort of um looked at 19 years down the line and, and sort of punished I, I just think i just think um that this is just important for everyone to get right not just chelsea like it, it's important that whoever comes in their money is uh is beyond reproach and um, and and can be used by Chelsea to uh, to get things back, as Dom says, on an even keel. I'm actually intrigued as to who makes the final decision, because technically yeah. Roman Abramovich shouldn't make the final decision. Um, these interested parties will effectively be buying Chelsea FC from Fordstam, which was Abramovich's company, and it's only listed. As, it's got two two. Uh, directors at the moment uh, an accountant called Paul Hegren who's based in Surrey and Eugene Tenenbaum um, who obviously is very close to Roman Abramovich um, a financier um, I think he lives on Jersey I think at the moment is that right sir? I think that is um, but beyond that I, I, I think it's Camberley International that own Fordstam and although we don't technically know who owns Camberley? The assumption was always that it was Abramovich, as it should be, given that it was his club. So, who is making this final decision? Is it is it is it Rain? Have Rain just been told you just 
just just do it just just buy a Bramovich, just go out and go and sell it to anyone um who who makes a decision as to which of these bidders has got the best interests of Chelsea Football Club at heart because that's what the fans will want to know surely that, that they'll want to know that this, this is going to be in safe hands now but it's a uh, that, so that's intriguing. Is it the government? Do the government have a say in it all? I mean, it's with the greatest respect, actually, with no respect whatsoever towards the British government. <laughs> you wouldn't want them making that decision, would you? Um, but yeah, the one the other bit of good news is the fact that that Rain were able to tell bidders that the process had restarted again was an indication that Roman Abramovich isn't going to fight this sanction legally. I think, which we spoke about again last week, which would would have had grim implications for Chelsea. I think it would have dragged on and on, and I imagine the license would have would have been revoked eventually, and Chelsea would have really struggled to to function. So that's good news. It seems that he's still intent upon selling, and yeah, we just got to hope that the the person that he sells to and whoever makes that decision has got that best interest of of the club at heart. Do we know if the company credit cards have been unfrozen? That was a big story on Friday, wasn't it? That was a a, a temporary situation. Again, and I know this is a sporting context, so it's all we're all sort of railing at this. And oh my word, this is incredible! They, they can't put petrol in the team coach. I mean, this is incredible. This is what sanctions are. This is what happens when a when a, somebody is sanctioned who owns assets, as in a company. Um, I was speaking to people, Sai and I did a piece on sanctions prior to them actually being um, imposed upon Roman Abramovich and and speaking to people then, there was this general um, sense of people don't realise what's about to happen here. The the very basic things that we, we, we take completely for granted are about to stop and they're not going to be able to do them. And one of those things is is the onus is always placed on the banks to make sure that these sanctions are implemented. If something slips through the net and a transaction is completed on the bank's watch, then the bank is the one that suffers. The bank is the one that gets punished. There are massive, massive fines hand, handed out to, to banks for the abuse of sanctions. So every bank or institution or, you know, a company that's in charge of a credit card at Chelsea had to conduct due diligence, um, which were going to take a few days to make sure that that these transactions did not slip through the net. One of those things was the credit cards. They couldn't. I mean, technically speaking, it would have been a violation of of um, the sanction had a company credit card been used to go and put petrol in a coach. If that coach wasn't being driven to a game as part of the twenty grand limit on travel for away matches etc it's it's that the nitty gritty that it came comes down to and that that is why sanctions work because they literally freeze everything you can't do anything um so it, although it's it's a great it was a great soundbite about the about the coach fuel etc um it was always going to happen you know barclay card were always going to look at the credit card situation and and the banks were going to look at it i imagine those credit cards will now no longer be be frozen and and that they'll be able to you know buy the cans for the journey home etc <laughs> yeah i i uh, just wanted to touch on sort of how i sort of experienced the sanctions at the the, the under 23s game on on friday night when um 
of course, for senior games, the media looked after very well. You know, here's some food, here's some tea, blah, blah, blah. It's all free. But uh, obviously, understandably, at youth level, um, it's by it itself, mate. And uh, off I went to the... Off I went to the the bar, the the lovely catering area, and um, I said, oh, "I'll have a, I'll have a cup of tea and a pie, please." And uh, the guy behind the bar went, "It's on me." And I went, "But we've only just met." Uh, <laughs> and then I, I I quickly tweaked. I went, "This is because of the sanctions, isn't it?" He went, "Yeah." Then they couldn't say, and 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 the conversation. Okay, cheesy joke aside was pretty much had with everyone that then queued up. They went, it's free, it's free. Everyone got very excited. I think they were glad they came. Um, not so much for the football. Um, but it was sort of, it, it was sort of bizarre. You know, it's kind of, of course, yeah. And and they had to sort of get rid of the stuff because obviously it had already been, already been bought and stuff. So, um, but again, it just hammered home. Well, you can't even, it, it, it would have cost a thing, I don't know, about a five or a six quid or something. But yeah, couldn't take it. And in the press room on Sunday, the press were gorging themselves silly, having learned the news that the catering bill had been paid in advance until the end of the season. So the famous buffet uh, has survived for now. All right, if you want the best insight and all the details on any potential takeover, get yourself signed up for a subscription at theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod. You'll pay just a pound a month for the first six months. Next today, we'll have a look at Chelsea's Champions League tie with Lille. My last information is that we have a plane but, uh, and we can go by plane and uh, can go back by plane. If not, we go by train. If not, we go by bus. If not, I drive for seven-seater, honestly. <laughs> I, and I will do. Yeah, you can uh, mark my words. I will do. I will arrive there. On Wednesday night, Chelsea go to France, possibly in a seven-seater driven by Thomas Tuchel. <laughs> um, they surely need more than seven seats for that. But anyway, it was a nice gesture from the Chelsea manager. The Blues 2-0 up from the first leg. How are you getting there, Simon? I'm going there by uh, Chelsea's plane, uh, which is now... For... No, I'm, I'm booked on a, on a Eurostar. I, I was very disappointed to find out that I was leaving before the players uh, because there's part of me that thought, oh, I might be... Sitting, sitting with them and get a chance to sort of chat about, oh, you know, how's life under sanctions? But uh, but no, Eurostar Tuesday morning. And um, yeah, it's almost forgotten. Like there's this Champions League, you know, it's, it is weird to sort of talk about football. Um, it seems a long, long time ago since that 2-0 win at home, um, which, which normally you sort of think, oh, that's a very, very comfortable um, Scoreline to take back to, to to take to the away game, but with with away goals not not counting anymore, you only have to look at uh, what Inter Milan were able to do at Anfield to sort of keep the the tie alive, make Liverpool fans a bit nervous. So th- this tie isn't done and dusted. It you know Lille, Lille are, uh, they showed enough at Stamford Bridge um, for Chelsea to to sort of go there and, and sort of know that they're going to have to be. Put in a performance, although Lil are without Renato Sanchez, I think I think he's picked up an injury and he looks he looks very good in the first leg. Uh, and also, Lille don't have a lot of goals in them, Dom, do they? Drew nil nil against Saint Etienne on Friday, assuming that the likes of Thiago Silva will be back, Marcus Alonso, maybe even Reese James too. It's difficult to see them scoring at least twice with against this Chelsea team, no? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's they. They looked a bit like 
the Wren team that Chelsea came up against um, last season in the group stage, I think. Um, quite physically impressive. Uh, a good physical presence up top in Onana in particular. Bamba and Sanchez was excellent at Stanford Bridge. Um, David obviously is a, a player of a proper quality who's going to go places in his career. But but yeah, it was it was more that they didn't create brilliant chances. They created lots of half chances and and and, and therefore snatched at those um, and 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 didn't hurt Chelsea properly. Um, they might be more of a threat over there. It's interesting to see that Hatem Ben Arfa, who who came on at Stamford Bridge and got himself booked in a in a very very late cameo, uh, didn't really provide very much other than that. I think one shot, but he he has started the last three games now and and was taken off along with David just after the hour mark against Santa Chen at the weekend. So so maybe he is um, more of the creative hub for for Lille and, and, and the hope that they can unlock Chelsea um, and hurt them in France. But look, 2-0 is, is an, that's a, that's a good solid lead to take to France against a team that, that I think at this level probably still feel slightly inferior. Um, maybe even psychologically, they're not quite sure they belong in the latter stages of this competition. That's maybe a bit unfair, but, but it just, it just sort of feels that they're, they're slightly short in, in, in a lot of areas around, across the team and the Chelsea should be able to exploit that. Yeah, they're sixth in Liga and a full 22 points behind PSG. Uh, Simon, I mentioned Rhys James briefly there. That's good news, isn't it? It seems like he'll be back a lot quicker than we first thought. Yeah, I mean, perhaps I didn't phrase, perhaps I should have been a bit more careful with the wording when I when I wrote a story last week that um, the initial story was, was he'd be out for up to two weeks and... Yeah, it, then I subsequently spoke to someone else the next day and they said, oh, actually, it could be as little as five days to two weeks. It, it's always one of those timelines of injuries can be a little bit, um, can always be a little bit sort of uh, interchangeable, but it was always a minor problem. That that, that was, the, that was the, the, the good news about it because the way Tuchel initially spoke was that he was sort of saying, oh, it's not good news and... We were sort of having to get more scans, and you, you sort of, as you were listening to him saying it, you're going, "Oh crikey, is he going to be out for sort of months?" Even, um, I, I still think they should be a little bit careful with him because if if he's picking up an injury so soon after coming back, albeit in a different, albeit in the other leg to the one that kept him out for two months, it shows there is a bit of a perhaps a, a, a an element of fatigue from playing so much football over the last few years. Um, so don't rush him back too soon. Is he really needed against Lille? Is he really needed against Middlesbrough? Um, I, I, I'd certainly be tempted to treat him a bit cautiously and, and, and perhaps make sure he's 100% right. So he's he's good to go after the international break. Um, so perhaps he won't start either game and, and we'll just come on for sort of 10, 15 minutes if he's, if he's ready to go. And I guess, Dom that would give Chelsea a little bit of leeway if he doesn't feature in these games against Lille and Borough to say to Gareth Southgate, actually, can you not pick him for the England games and we'll give him a little bit extra rest? Yeah, definitely. I'd be very surprised if uh, he played much part in that, in that international window, to be honest. I think he just, I think there'll be a, a level of understanding there, given that he's now had muscular problems in both legs, in both hamstrings, etc. Um so yeah, I, I'd fully expect Southgate to be sensible on that front. It's not as if he hasn't got other options at right 
the right wing back or right back. There are plenty of players that will be desperate to get into that England team and he'll want to have a look at. So it's uh, it shouldn't be a priority to, to pick Rhys James. Well, whether he features or not in France on Wednesday, we will handle all the fallout of that game in our Thursday pod. Elsewhere in Chelsea news. Kirk comes through and Kirk scores! Chelsea have done it! In the second minute of stoppage time, Sam Kerr scores a goal to keep their WSL title hopes in their own hands. For Kai Havertz, read Sam Kerr. The Aussies scored a stoppage time winner for Chelsea against Aston Villa at Kings Meadow on Sunday. Goalkeeper Zichira Musevic got the assist. Her punt up field pounced upon by Kerr, who'd earlier had a goal ruled out for offside. Chelsea had 22 shots in the game. Uh, the win means Emma Hayes' team keep the fate of their title in their own hands. They're five points behind leaders Arsenal, but with two games in hand on the Gunners. Chelsea have seven left to play in the league, starting at Everton on Wednesday night. You can read more about the game, including the thoughts of Emma Hayes in a piece on The Athletic penned by our friend Flo Lloyd-Hughes. And mixed news for the academy sides. The under-18s booked their place in the final of the under-18 Premier League Cup by beating Stoke 5-1. Tudor Mandela Dowu scored twice with Silco Thomas, Ronnie Stutter and Josh Tobin also on the score sheet to set up a final with either Leicester or Fulham. And meanwhile, as Simon mentioned, he was on hand at Kings Meadow to see the under-23s draw with West Ham. Means they're still far from sure of their place in Division 1 of the PL2 for next season. Simon, you've written an extensive piece on the state of the academy. Tell us more about it please well I hasten to add I started working on this before all the drama of the last few days um because it just it just uh my, my interest was was pricked basically because you just go when when have you ever heard of the under 23s being in a relegation battle and then of course only only a few weeks ago the under 19s in the youth league a competition that, that Chelsea won twice and, and reached the final on a couple of other occasions got a great record in Lost five one at Genk, and and you're going. Hang on a minute, is, is there a problem here, or or is this just a blip? Is there is there just just one of these things? So I started talking to people, put you know, agents that 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 um, base themselves at that level of football and and, and sort of go to a lot of games, um, people around um, the Chelsea youth system, and. Yeah, it, obviously there are. It's not. It's not. The academy is not rubbish, you know. And and I'm certainly not saying that. I'm not suddenly saying, oh yeah, it's all over, blah blah blah. But it's very interesting to sort of hear that, sort of even within the confines of the academy, that you know, they're obviously not happy um, with what's going on. They're looking before the sanctions hit. They're sort of like desperately trying to to find players, but they they've been hit by Brexit rules. They they can no longer shop for the best uh, players in Europe between the age of 16 and 18. Players like Andreas Christensen, who was signed at 16. Uh, Nathan Aki, of course, now at Man City, but he, he was signed at, at 15, actually, uh, although I don't think he technically joined till 16. Um, even, even Ian Matson, who's currently on loan at Coventry, a player like that wouldn't be able to sign. So they've been sort of like looking looking at players even as far down, you know, way down in the non-league, or Jaden Wareham signed from, from Woking, etc., also, it's quite interesting. They're working on a project because the the uh, the caveat to the, the sort of element doom and gloom, the under nines and under twelves are apparently outstanding. I don't know. I've not seen them, but this is what I've been told. They're they they actually have got ridiculously high hopes for for these age groups, and they are focusing all their uh, 
not all their efforts, but there, there is a real sort of focus to make these the cream of the crop in Europe. Um, and people also go, oh, you know, that's putting a load of pressure on them. You got to remember, this is this is the age when you sort of think how, when Reese James and Mason Mount, you know, these kids were joined at the age of eight, etc., and now they're in the first team. So it's very much that kind of thinking of sort of trying to work with these uh, these rough diamonds and, and and sort of make them into into the real deal. But anyway, it, it's it's a very complex subject. It's not all bad news, but um, there's definitely cause for concern. Yeah, and just to add to that from from my perspective having seen quite a lot of, of both of them I'd say that there is an element of concern with the under 23s definitely but the under 18s look like a much yeah. lighter crop than the current under 23 squad so so hopefully in a couple of years it'll be back to, to business as usual yeah and I, I and I hasten to add Matt you know of course one of the one of the reasons why the under 23s are also a little suffering a little bit and, and and even other age groups is that of course players have been promoted this season to the first team squad so instead of playing for the under twenty threes, they've been in the first team. So e- even then, you know, there are mitigating circumstances with the under twenty threes too. Yeah, and you often get teams in in that PL two Division one, like Man City and Everton, who tend to just not loan out many players, so they yeah. keep their best players. Whereas Chelsea generally loan out anybody who they think's got a decent future uh, in the game. All right, so Simon's got that up on the Athletic. We mentioned George Colkin earlier and heard from him earlier. His full piece on the experience of the game on Sunday's also up. Liam's got a big read up on the game and more. Don, what are you working on this week? So we've got uh, the mailbag going up um, probably for Wednesday morning. Um, quest- some of the questions asked by readers towards the end of last week. Um, hopefully, um, well, actually, all of them will be still current because I think we're in a in that position where we're just waiting for things to happen now. Um, and I need to tackle a uh, the issue of whether the new owners of Chelsea Football Club can hope to emulate what Roman Abramovich did in terms of both trophies, but also the way he ran the club, obviously being at a, a debt-making, uh, uh, running it at a deficit, let's put it like that, um, and whether that's li- whether that's likely uh, with new, new owners coming in, you know, and the implications of all that. And Simon, after we've finished here, you're going to be jumping on the Athletics Football Podcast with Mark Chapman. Presumably you'll be, what, looking at Malang Sar's effectiveness <laughs> at left-back or something like that? Kennedy. Kennedy piece. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I hope I, this almost feels like an, you know, let's get back to the cricket analogy. It also almost feels like a net. And, and then I'm going to have to go out and face um, some more, some hostile bowling uh, for Mark Chapman. Uh, yeah. I might have to be a bit more concise than I've been this morning on this show. <laughs> Is that a compliment or an insult to me? I'll leave it to you to decide. Definitely not. <laughs> All right, we'll be back on Thursday when we'll go through that little game. Look ahead to the FA Cup quarterfinal and catch up with the women's team too. Do join us for that if you can. From all of us here though, it's bye for now. The Athletic. <laughs>